Look out. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. My name is David Vignola, and this is episode number 38. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. This week, we're going to talk about seven things, my top seven things that'll help improve your mixes dramatically. Seven things that'll help improve your mixes. That's what we're going to talk about today. So if you like this episode, make sure you subscribe, share, give a five-star review, Leave comments below if you're listening to this on YouTube as well. That helps me out around and I really do appreciate it. Also, make sure you stick around to the end of the podcast because I want to give you a couple of free things just for listening. So let's talk about seven things that will help improve your mix right here on the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. This is episode 38. Thank you so much for joining me today. Today we're going to talk about the top seven things that will help improve your mixes. There's many more than seven, but here's seven of them. Some of them I may have mentioned before in other episodes. Some of them I certainly have not. So these are seven things. If you're into mixing, and we do a lot of mixing and home recording made easy, as well as mixingmadeeasy.net. Again, check out both of those websites. If you are new here, links will be in the show notes below. And stick around to the end of the episode, because I'm going to give you a couple of things for free, especially if this is your first time here. But we talk a lot about mixing. I do a lot of mixing. Mixing is the number one thing that I do. I do recording, I do some tracking, but mostly what I do these days is mixing and education. So I'm I'm a student of mixing, I feel, and I'm always learning and I enjoy mixing more than anything else. And I enjoy plugins and hardware and gear. And I love being able to take raw recorded sounds and make them sound as good as I possibly can. And probably a lot of you do as well. And that's why you're here and that's why you follow me. So let's talk about seven things that I've learned over the years that'll absolutely improve your mix and help you become more consistent. Number one is make sure that you organize your session. If you're working in a DAW, make sure you name your tracks, color code, and have a consistent workflow. That's really important. I mean, that's, you know, you, you would think that the first thing I'm going to tell you is talking about a certain compression move or a certain EQ move or a certain plugin or a certain piece of hardware and all that's important. We'll talk about that stuff as well. You know, one of the things that'll help you become a better mixer and become a more consistent mixer is if you have a consistent workflow. And part of that is having a consistent way you set up your sessions, the way you name your tracks, the way you color code things. I've talked about this before. I have a couple of videos on the YouTube channel that I've done over the years talking about prepping a mix, setting up a mix, using templates, those sorts of items. Those things will really help you become consistent and help improve your mixing. It'll also help speed up your workflow. I mean, if you, you know, you've been watching me for any length of time, you know, just by, you know, from mix to mix and from training course to training course, you'll see that a lot of my sessions are set up the same way, right? My drums are always located at one part of the console in Studio One, and they're always the color brown. And my bass is always the color blue, the track colors. And I usually will always have a busing system with parallel compression. And you'll see that I have a workflow. And so that workflow works for me. It may not work for you. Some of those things may work for you. Some of those things may not. And what I aim to strive for here at Home Recording Made Easy is to show you a bunch of different ways to do things so you can take what you like from my, my workflow and then also figure out what you don't like by watching my workflow and building your own workflow. And so if you don't have a consistent way you do things, if you don't use templates on some level, if you don't um, have somewhat of a process 
um, you ought to consider getting one and developing one for yourself. That's really going to help you. Okay. So tip number one is organize yourself, organize your sessions, make sure you have a workflow, make sure you use templates, and that's going to help you in part be more consistent from mix to mix. Number two, when you're working on a mix, another thing to help that'll help improve your mix is give yourself a time limit. Now, I know I've talked about this before in other podcast episodes. Give yourself a time limit on how long it takes you to mix a song. Now, again, every session is going to be a little different. It depends on, you know, how many tracks and what kind of music and is how well were the tracks recorded and all that stuff. I, I get all of that. But you want to give yourself a time limit. You don't want to spend days and days and days and weeks and weeks and weeks mixing a song and tweaking a song and tweaking it again and tweaking it a third time. Okay, make a commitment. Give yourself a time limit. This is really, really important. When I'm mixing a song that's less than 30 tracks, it doesn't have a lot of repair work. I give myself about four hours to five hours to mix a song from start to finish. That's about the time. Maybe it's a little more. Maybe it's a little less, but it's in that ballpark. Okay, it rarely takes me longer than six hours to mix a track. Rarely. I tend to mix fast. Now, again, Part of the mixing process, um, you got to, you know, you got to kind of uh, say, well, does that include Dave setting up the session and importing the audio files and cleaning the tracks and all of that? No, not really. That's kind of maybe 30 or 40 minutes of prep. And then it's about four hours to mix the song. Assuming again that there's only about, you know, probably less than 30 tracks and there's not 150 tracks for me to go through. Now, if you have a huge session, part of that mix preparation is comping tracks, finding out what you can eliminate, consolidating things. And that could take a little more time. But if you give yourself a time limit, whatever that time limit is, that's going to help you make a commitment, make decisions, trust your instinct and move quickly through mixes. And I think that that's important. I think that that's important. Again, we don't want to be careless and we don't want to not spend enough time on something and just kind of rip through it for the sake of ripping through it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about using your instincts and as you get better as a mixer, you know what to reach for. You know what to do when you hear a sound. You know how to EQ certain things. You know how to get things to be balanced. Now, when you're newer and you're starting out in mixing, that's going to take a lot longer to figure out, certainly. But over time, as you get better at mixing, you should be able to give yourself a time limit to be able to commit, get it done, move on to the next project, and the next project will hopefully be better than the last project if you've learned anything from it. Okay, so that's important. Again, four to six hours is about what I take, and inside of there I take breaks and whatnot, but that's about the limit, and I would say give yourself a time limit. Don't spend two days working on the sound of a snare drum. Big mistake, in my opinion. So that'll help you. That's tip number two. Tip number three, something that um, you always want to consider, is using both high-pass and low-pass filters, especially high-pass filters. We talk about that a lot, how that's going to really help clean up a recording when you're talking about everything other than maybe kick and bass. And although kick and bass, I use high-pass filters as well. Okay, so giving us low-cut, high-pass filters and also high-cut filters as well. Okay, cutting some of the highs. If you have a track that's really sizzly, very brittle on the top end, all that noise and kind of way at the top, up at, you know, 15K, 16K, 18K, you know, by rolling off some of that stuff brings more focus to the elements in your mix, the different instrumentation in your mix. And that's going to help. It's going to bring some focus and some clarity to the mix. And every mix is different. I realize that, but make sure you use filters. Filters are your friends. 
Make sure you use them and use them effectively. That's another thing that sometimes we tend to forget about, sometimes myself as well. So something to always keep in mind. Okay, that's tip number three. Tip number four, here's a big one. Here's a big one, everybody, for you working inside of a DAW who isn't working inside of a DAW today, right, on some level. Stop mixing with your eyes, especially when you're using EQ plugins where you have the graphic display and you can see all the frequencies. Try to use a non-graphic display EQ when possible. Stop mixing with your eyes. We do it with EQ a lot. We do it with compression a lot. We look at the uh, the meters and we look for certain things. We look for LED lights and we let our eyes tell us how to use plugins and how to adjust things instead of our ears. This is a common problem in the digital mixing world today. It just is, you know, and we all have to deal with it and we all have to, look, the DAW is here to stay. Thank, thank the Lord for that. It's wonderful technology. But one of the problems when you get away from working old school way, hence, you know, analog console, real faders, outboard gear, and not having a screen in front of you is that you're not using your ears. You used to mix back in the good old days, or it's not even the good old days, I'm teasing, back in the old, back in the day when there was no Pro Tools and there was no screen, you didn't, the engineer didn't use their eyes to see what was going on on the screen. They had to listen to the darn speakers and make decisions based on what they heard, not what they saw on the screen. Fast forward to the Pro Tools generation. And we have a DAW, and a DAW is wonderful too, by the way. I love the DAW. I mean, thank goodness we have digital audio workstations. The things and the time-saving things that we can do, that, and some things that we just could never do in the analog world, we can do. But part of the downfall is we spend so much time with a mouse in one hand, our hand on the keyboard in the other hand, and we're looking at a screen and we're not listening to the speakers anymore. So when you're EQing, especially once you get out of the beginning stages. Stop using those graphic EQs where you can see the frequencies where possible. And I use them all the time, but where possible. Using some analog style plugins like Neve EQs and SSL EQs and Pultec EQs. These are just some examples. There's no graphic display. You have to twist the knob and actually, guess what? Use your ears, right? So you don't let what you see on the screen influence the way you make an, um, an EQ adjustment, Right? There's guidelines when we talk about EQing certain instruments, but it's all dependent on how it's blended with the rest of the instrumentation around it and the way it was recorded and 15 other variables, right? So use your ears, not your eyes. Hugely important. The, the, the more that you can stop looking at the screen, if possible, the better, the better, okay? So that's important. Tip number five. Once you get past the beginning stages of mixing, and I know a lot of my audience is still in the middle of that journey, and that's totally cool, but there's also a lot of you that are intermediate, more advanced level mixers. And honestly, one of the things that I really don't teach much on this, you know, on the Home Recording Made Easy channel as much because I know most of my audience is not ready for it, but is using automation in your mix. Using automation in a mix is going to make your mix pop. Okay, if you took my my mixing master class, I did teach it in there because it was a master class, and I do teach it a little bit in some of more of the advanced classes. Most of my beginning courses, most of the things I've done on YouTube and you and uh, live streaming and such, I don't use automation because I'm still working with students on trying to teach them how to get good balances, good panning, good EQ, good compression decisions. Because without all of that in place, automation is not going to help you. It's only going to hurt you and confuse you. And just like compression and reverb, you can over overuse automation if you don't use it tastefully. So I would say, but 
there is a point in time that's going to really help your mix. And it really is the difference that sets the, the difference between a pro mix and an amateur mix is automation. Automation used tastefully is going to really help a mix pop out of the speakers. It's really going to make the mix come alive. So when should you start using automation? Well, as soon as you can, you know, as soon as you're ready, but don't, but don't worry about automation if you're still struggling with things like EQ and compression. Okay. That's what I would tell you, but learn what automation is, you know, search my YouTube channel. I do have some stuff on it. You can search other YouTube channels. And again, if you feel like you're getting a little bit better and you're beyond the beginning stages, you may want to consider taking things like my, my mixing masterclass where I have a whole section and a whole module around it. That's going to help you move to the next level. And just like with anything else, you have to practice and experiment with it. A lot of times automation, with the exception of maybe a special effect here or there, depending on the track, the song, the genre of music, most times when you listen to commercial releases, you don't hear the automation. You don't hear it. You don't know it's there. You just know the song feels good. Automation makes the song and the track feel good. It shouldn't be obvious. You know, one example is if you're, you know, uh, the chorus of a song, some people will you know, take an upbeat chorus that pops and they'll, and they'll make sure that, the, you know, it's a couple of dB louder, two, three dB louder than the verses. Well, you don't hear that when you hear it on the radio or on Spotify or Apple music, you don't hear that the chorus, oh my God, that got way louder. No, it's done in a very subtle way, right? It has more energy, but you don't really hear the automation as the end listener. You just feel it. So automation is huge. It's huge. It's something you really ought to consider if you're not doing it and you're ready for it. And even if you're not ready for it, start to get yourself a little bit used to the idea of it because it really is going to help you. And believe me, there isn't a mix on the planet that's been commercially released that doesn't have some automation in it. I'd be willing to bet. <laughs> okay, that's number five. Here's another tip for you. I got a couple more. Number six, you want to improve your mix? Mix as quietly as possible. We've talked about this as well before. Mixing at low volumes, talk about it all the time, especially if you're using headphones and you got the speakers strapped to the side of your head on your ears. Listening at loud volumes is a bad idea for, for long periods of time. It doesn't mean you shouldn't check the mix at loud volumes. It doesn't mean you shouldn't do it temporarily to see how it sounds. Of course you should. 80% of the time when you're mixing, you need to be mixing at a level that's comfortable to your ears don't get fatigued whether you're using speakers or headphones. When I'm using studio monitors, I'm mixing at a volume where if I was, you know, clacking the keys on my keyboard in front of me, I can hear the keys as loud as the music. Okay, what is that gonna do for you? Well, number one, you're gonna be able to hear things a little bit more clearly. You're not gonna also, when you mix at a lower volume too, if you have some room issues with acoustic treatment, although we talked about that before, we're gonna talk about that again in a minute. But, it's also going to keep the reflections down in the room, the standing waves of the bass down in the room. If you have a really well-treated room, it's not as much of an issue, but most home studios don't have enough or the proper amount of treatment. So that's going to help because you're going to, you're going to help reduce some of the issues in the room by listening at a more quiet level. It's also going to save your ears and your ears are not going to get as fatigued. When your ears get fatigued, the first thing that happens in your ears, whether you know it or not, is your eardrums will start to compress and close to protect themselves. That's what happens. And the number for the first thing that happens is you start to lose perspective on the top end, the high end or free upper mids and high frequencies. And what happens? You go to your EQ and you jack up the EQ on everything because you can't hear it because you've been listening so loud that your ears are fried. 
And then if you come back 24 hours later and listen to that mix, it sounds like, you know, a buzz, a, a, a buzz saw zzz, with all this high end. You don't want that. Okay. If you mix at a lower volume level, you're not going to have that problem as much. So make sure that you're mixing at a low volume. And if, if you've never done this before, I, I challenge you to try it. And I will forewarn you, you won't like it at first. You won't like it at first. I didn't like it at first. We want it louder. We want it rocking, right? Louder is better. <laughs> That's what I, right? Yes, louder is better when you're listening to music for pleasure. Louder is not better when you're trying to mix music. It's not doesn't mean you shouldn't check it at loud volumes. Of course you should. But if you can get a mix at quiet volumes, as quiet as you can stand it, if you can get that mix to sound balanced with clarity where you can hear all the detail, when you turn it up, it's only going to sound better. But check your mixes at high volumes for a couple of minutes throughout the mix. But 80% of the time, you should be mixing at low volumes. And I did a YouTube video of that as well, where I demonstrate what that kind of sound like instead of putting a DB meter on it and all that technical stuff, I guess you can do that, but I don't need to do that. Just turn it down. <laughs> if you and I were sitting in front of your studio speakers in your, in your control room or your home studio, we should have a conversation together and we should be able to talk without having to talk over each other. And we should still be able to hear ourselves over the music. That's how quiet, okay? That's what I would do. Mix as quietly as possible. That is going to absolutely help you hear things better. You'll be able to mix for longer periods of time. Your ears won't get fatigued. And therefore, you'll improve your mixing. Okay? Number seven. What did I just say in number six? The room. You want better mixes? Make sure your room is treated treated properly. I talk about this in almost every podcast, and I know some of you are sick of hearing it. But I'll tell you what. I deal with students on a weekly basis here all the time through MixingMadeEasy.net, through my coaching um, sessions, through Skype and through Zoom, people that contact me that need coaching, through students who buy my courses and have questions for me and can't understand why their mixes don't sound good. And the very first thing I ask them about is their room. It's the very first thing I ask when they say, I don't understand. I can't. The low end is this. I take my mix out to the car. It doesn't sound right. I don't understand. The first thing I say is, is your, is your studio acoustically treated? And send me a picture. And, oh, yeah, it's treated. And they send me a picture, and there's like two pieces of thin, you know, thin one-by-one one square foam on the walls with no bass traps, no nothing. I said, that's not treated. So we need to talk about the room as much as possible. I know it's a thing that people hate the most. The good news is it's not expensive. The other piece of good news is that you could get help if you don't know how to set it up for free by the companies that actually make really high-quality acoustic treatment whether it's through uh, Prime Acoustics, whether it's through Oralex or whomever, go to sweetwater.com, links in the show notes below, and check out all the different acoustic treatment options that they have. You can send a sketch of your room and or with some, with and or some photos, and they'd be glad for free to analyze that stuff and give you some recommendations on what kind of acoustic treatment you should have and how you should place it and where. If you don't do that, you're never going to get good, consistent mixes. You are just not. It's end of story, hard stop. If you're mixing through studio monitors, if you're mixing on headphones, that's a different ballgame because you don't have to worry about the room. And that's one of the things I say, if you cannot do acoustic treatment for whatever reason, budgetary, you live in an apartment, whatever it is, don't want to, whatever it, if I can't convince you, then don't mix on speakers. Use a good set of quality mixing headphones and that will take the room out of the equation. 
but then you need to have a good set of mixing headphones and a good set of mixing headphones is going to run you three to five or six hundred dollars or more and that's cheap for mixing headphones but that's okay. That'll work really well. I mixed on Sennheiser HDC 650s for a long time. I use Neumanns today. You can get a good set of mixing headphones at a great price and the room doesn't matter. But make sure if you're going to mix on speakers, make sure your room is acoustically treated so you could hear accurately what's coming out of the speakers. If you can't hear accurately what's coming out of the speakers because you have reflections all over the room and frequency cancellations and phasing issues and all the other nonsense and all the other technical mumbo jumbo that comes along with that, you won't make good mix decisions and then your mix isn't going to sound right. It's the number one thing you can do and probably the most effective thing you can do to improve your mixes. You, you have no real chance when you're learning how to use EQ and compression and you're going through all my training courses or anyone else's training courses and you're learning the craft of mixing, you have no chance really of getting it right if you're doing that in an environment that you can't hear accurately what's coming out of the speakers. I can't teach you how to use an EQ effectively if you can't hear the accurate picture coming out of the room. I can't teach you how to use a compressor effectively and, you know, I could teach you conceptually, but if we're doing learning examples and listening examples of what you're hearing in your environment is not accurate, you're, you're guessing. It's like closing your eyes and throwing a dart at a dartboard. You might hit it. You might not hit it. It might sound okay. It may not. You have no idea. So make sure your room is acoustically treated, your mixing space. Or if you can't do that, please get yourself a decent set of mixing headphones, Okay. You'll thank me later and it'll, it'll save you a world of frustration. There's nothing more frustrating than working on a mix and spending all the time, you know, way past the time limit that you gave yourself. <laughs> and then you take that mix out into the car and it doesn't sound anything like you did in your, in, in your studio. That has 99% of that problem has usually has to do with the room and your skills as an engineer and the, the quality of your equipment, certainly, but the room most importantly. Okay. So I know I'm beating that to death and I beat it to death all the time, but it really is going to help. So acoustic treatment. And I'm going to throw you another one here. Number eight, learn how to use the tools that you use, especially plugins in your DAW. Learn your tools, right? Plugins, especially because plugins and we're all victims of this. I don't, I wouldn't say victim. That's a strong word. We've all fallen for this where we all go out. I mean, look at me. You want to talk about who has too many plugins. I'm raising my hands. You can't see me. I have too many plugins. Most of what I have is for educational purposes to show you guys things. But nevertheless, you guys, I know that at least half of you listening to me right now have way more plugins of what you need. You love buying plugins. You are a plug-in junkie, right? You have all these plugins. And you use plugins, they don't sound good to you or you can't get your mix to sound right. So you watch some famous engineer on YouTube say, get my plugin, get my signature plugin. My signature plugin will make your mix sound awesome. Okay, I'm going to run out and buy that plugin. And then you run out and buy that plugin and you use it for a while and you go, eh, eh. it just doesn't sound as good as it did on the YouTube video I watched. Oh, let's, let's get the, let's go to, uh, you know. The next guy's plugin. Oh, his plugin. Ooh, that plugin's great. I'm going by that plugin. And that plugin doesn't work as well as you thought either. There's a lot of reason for that. I'm being sarcastic. But if you limit yourself to the tools that you have, and even if, and I highly recommend 
especially for all my newer students out there, use your stock plugins. Don't worry about any other plugins yet and understand how to use them and get the most out of them. Okay, understand how to use them and get the most out of them. Understand how to use them and get the most out of them. <laughs> okay. We, I'm telling you that is a, you could, you could go down the plugin rabbit hole and spend your whole life in the plugin rabbit hole and your mixes will not sound better if you don't understand the tools that you have and how to get the most out of them. That's a huge one. And I'm going to save you a lot of money too, <laughs> right? It's not to say that having lots of plugins isn't cool. It's really cool. I have lots of plugins. I love them all, right? But I know how to use them. That's the difference. So if you have to, in the mix, open up your whatever DAW you're using, open up your plugin browser or your plugin manager or however you do it, and there is a long list of plugins that you have to scroll through for four minutes just to find a, com a compressor that you'd like to use, you got too many plugins. You got too many plugins, my friend. You get too many plugins. If you have to search for a plugin and you can't figure out which EQ to use because you got five, you know, 50 of them, you have too many. Okay. There's a time and a place for that. Again, I have that too. And I'm not saying that once you know how to use this stuff effectively and can really use them, that it's not fun to change them up and have different things and have little bells and whistles and different looking plugins and it's cool and it's fun. Of course it is. And there's nothing wrong with it. But what I'm trying to, you know, point out here and, and kind of um, press home to you is that unless you know how to use these things, don't keep running out and buying plugins that you, unless that you, that isn't going to help you limit your options until you really know what you're doing. Okay. That's really going to help you. So in summary, and there's more, we'll talk about more in another episode, but organize your session. Make sure you have a consistent workflow. Give yourself a time limit. Don't take two weeks to mix a song. It should never take two weeks to mix a song. I don't care what your, I don't care what the most famous audio engineer on YouTube that you love said. No one needs to spend two weeks mixing a song. Okay. You should be able to mix a song in four to six hours if it's not a massive session once you know what you're doing. But give yourself a time limit. Pick a goal, give yourself a time limit. Use low and high pass filters where appropriate. Stop mixing with your eyes. Shut off the screen as much as possible. Don't let your eyes dictate to you how to EQ something. Let your ears dictate to you. Or compression as well, right? Same thing. Use automation when you're ready. At one point, start thinking about using, playing around and using automation. Automation is what the makes the mix come alive, but use automation in a sparing way. It should be subtle. I mean, subtle or not noticeable. It shouldn't be too obvious. It should just make the song feel good, okay? Mix as quietly as possible in the room. Keep those monitors or those headphones as low as possible, as low as you can stand it. Check it at high volumes, but most of the time, 75%, 80% of the time, you should be mixing at a, at a very reasonable, quiet level, as quiet as you can stand it. And then last but certainly not least, understand the tools that you have, especially when we talk about plugins. Don't keep buying plugins thinking that the plugin in and of itself is going to make your mix sound like a professional mix because it is not. It's the person using the plugin, Okay. And that doesn't mean you can't have lots of plugins, but learn how to use the ones that you have first before you spend more money. 
So those are my top seven things that will help improve your mix. We'll call this part one because I'm sure there'll be a part two because I could probably give you 40 other things, but those are seven that you ought to be working on right now. So again, thank you so much for listening to this entire episode. As I said earlier, if you are new here, I want you to go to homerecordingmadeeasy.com and I want to give you a free mixing course. We're talking about mixing. Right on the webpage, a free mixing course where we walk through EQ and compression. We talk about a lot of the things I talked about in this podcast. It'll get you on your way. Absolutely free, no strings attached. It's just my gift to you for visiting Home Recording Made Easy. I want to say thank you. So have the free course, enjoy it. Once you take that free course, if you like my teaching style and you say, you know what, Dave's teaching style really resonates with me, I'd love to check out some of his other courses is paid training. You can do that. I would really appreciate that, but I want to give you a discount as well. Okay. I don't want you to pay full price for the course. I'm going to give you a coupon code. The poo, the poo, the coupoo, the poo poo. <laughs> the coupon code is podcast 30. Put that in a checkout and you will get 30% off any single title training course on the website. All the information I just talked about will be in the show notes below. Let me know what you thought of this episode. Please like, share, subscribe with others. Give me a five-star review if you would be so kind. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, leave some comments below and give me some of the top seven things or some of the things you do to help improve your mixing that was not a part of this list. I'd love to know what you think. And until next week's episode, I've been Dave with HomeRecordingMadeEasy.com. Thank you so much for listening listening to this week's podcast episode. I really do appreciate it. And I will talk to you guys next week. Take care, everybody.